Before I get before we get into the text, I do have two confessions to make. We actually need four weeks to go through this prayer. I said three, uh, but as I was reading and as I was preparing, I felt like I would be shortchanging y'all if I tried to rush things. And so we're going to take a little extra time to go over this prayer. But the second confession is, I missed a phrase last week. I couldn't help myself, and so I listened back to it. And I did realize I missed one phrase, John chapter 17, uh, verse 11 and 12, when Jesus says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 12, while I was with them, I've kept them in your name, which you've given me. I missed the second, which you have given me. So, forgive me, but I did miss a phrase last week. The, the first five verses, as we covered, this is just the, the beginning of Jesus' prayer. And Jesus, he specifically prays for himself in those verses. And now this week and next week, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 19, but we're going to split it up into two. And so in this block of text, Jesus is primarily praying for the 11 present with him. Now, while he's primarily praying for them, what are you going to see is that there are some, thing that, some things that he prays for that could also be applied to us. So this block of text that we're covering this week, next week, primarily applies to the 11, some of which can apply to us. Why do I say it primarily applies to the 11? Well, verse 12 of chapter 17, again, that says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. All right, so the son of destruction uh, it seems pretty obvious, and we conclude that this is Judas, right? Judas, during this time of the Last Supper, while they're eating a meal together, Jesus gives him this bread, and then he goes out, he leaves, and he's going to betray Jesus. So Judas is this son of destruction, and so when he says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, and then he refers to Judas, it seems like the them is the eleven present with Jesus. Another reason why this block of text seems to be primarily about the eleven, verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So he concludes this block of text by saying, I do not ask for these only, implying that these, that being these Disciples with me, the 11. So those are just the few reasons why I suggest that this block of text is primarily about them, and there might be a few things that apply to us. So we're going to start with verse 6. We're going to walk through this text. Verse 6 says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, the word here translated as manifest can also be translated as to reveal, to make known, to bring something to light. And I kind of like the translation to bring something to light. Jesus has brought to light the name of the Father to his people. Specifically, in the most immediate context, he's brought the name of the Father to light to the 11. And of course, I like that translation. I like the idea of bringing something to light because of the context of the Gospel of John. If you remember, there is a whole lot in reference to light. There is a theme of light that is central to the Gospel of John. As we read John chapter 1, the very beginning of this Gospel, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, we'll skip down to verse 9. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9 says, The true light, which enlightens or gives light to everyone, 
was coming into the world. So obviously this is Jesus. Jesus is this light that is coming to the world. He gives light to everyone. Yet we know, also according to John, that while he was giving light to everyone, there are people who love the darkness rather than the light, as we read John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. Jesus has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed, right? Jesus came into the world. Light has been shown on all the world, yet some people love the darkness rather than the light. Jesus also says in chapter 8, verse 12, chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world, pretty blatantly says, I'm this light of the world. I'm this light that has come into the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then it's interesting that just after this chapter, again, we have this theme of light being drawn through the gospel of John. After chapter 8 and chapter 9, what does Jesus talk about? Who does he heal? He heals a blind man. Right? And how do we see? What's the reason for us seeing? Now, I'm not a a physicist or anything like that. What's the proper term for that? I don't know. But I'm not that. But we have light reflecting off of surfaces and coming into our eyes. And so that's why we see. Now, that's probably not the best way to explain that. There are scientists who can explain that much better than I can. But that's why we see. We have light reflecting off of surfaces and coming into our eyeballs. That's why we see. And so he heals this blind man. He did not have light properly coming into his eyes so that he could see. And so he heals him, and yet there's these Pharisees with him. There's these Pharisees that have their physical eyesight, yet they don't believe. So ironically enough, in chapter 9, even though the, the, the theme of light, the word light's not explicitly mentioned, but it's clearly dealing with the theme of light. Uh, the, the blind man could not see, but he was made to see, and he also was made to see spiritually. The Pharisees present do not see spiritually because they are in darkness. Chapter 12, we also read chapter 12, verses 35 through 36. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from him. Now, this is obviously not an all-encompassing list, but you get the point. Throughout the Gospel of John, we have this theme of light. And answer me this. Can someone see the Father if they are in spiritual darkness? No. Scripture is very clear about this. You cannot see the Father if you are in spiritual darkness. Yes, Jesus, he has shown light on all the world, yet there have been many people who have sought a corner of darkness, so to speak. Only those who are his, only those who are dwelling in the light, see the Father. As he said in John chapter 17, verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I manifested, I brought to light your name to your people that you gave me. Only his people see the Father. And then the second half of verse 6, what about these people? He says, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They have kept your word, which could also mean they've observed your message. They've observed your message. They've positively, positively responded to your message. Now, perhaps there's a double meaning here. They've observed your word. They've kept your word. 
word can be both message and messenger. This is something that we've seen in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, as we've already read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in the Gospel of John, Word is both spoken message and the messenger. We continue verse 7 in chapter 17. Jesus says, now they know that everything, now they, meaning his people, specifically primarily referring to the eleven, now they know that everything that you've given me is from you. Everything that the Father gave Jesus is from the Father. And this could apply to his people, his message, his purpose, his mission, his miracles, the list could go on. Everything that Jesus has is from the Father, as he's already said in John chapter 12, John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50, for I've not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. We also read in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. All that Jesus has is from the Father. And you get the sense, you get the picture in John chapter 10. The Father gave Jesus the people. These people, these sheep are in his hand. But even though the Father gave Jesus these sheep, they're also simultaneously in the hand of the Father because they are one. So when the Father gives Jesus something, it's not that the Father is giving up control of it. What Jesus has is the Father's. What the Father has is Jesus's. And so look what he says back to chapter 17. Look what he says concerning these sheep, his people. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you and have believed that you sent me. Two important words here. They have come to know and they have come to believe. Do we know and believe? The the way this is worded is not soft. He doesn't say that they've come to think and they've come to maybe believe. He says they've come to know in the truth and they have come to believe that he came from the Father. So why is it? that there are many self-proclaiming Christians who soften their language surrounding their belief in Jesus. Um, I'm not going to say that I've never been guilty of this, but why is it that we do that? Uh, when, we, when we talk with somebody about our belief in Jesus and maybe, maybe they believe something different, maybe they don't believe at all, maybe, maybe they believe in a, a, a different religious figure, but why is it that when we encounter these people, we, we soften our language and we, we, we say things like, you know what, it's okay that you believe that, that's fine, I, I believe what I believe, let's just all get along. And it's not that we shouldn't get along, but we, we soften our language, we soften our conviction, it doesn't really become a conviction anymore when we soften our language, and we act like we got to be sensitive to the extent of, I don't want to say that I believe in Jesus who is said to be the one true God. I don't want to say I believe in Jesus who makes all these exclusive claims that he's the way to eternal life. 
But Jesus says that the, the immediately the 11 here with him, they have come to know in truth, which is to say they've come to know with certainty and they've come to believe. Do we know with certainty? Do we believe that he came from the Father? And Jesus continues verse 9 here. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. Again, most immediately, Jesus, he's praying for the 11 present with him, but you can see how this could be extended to more than the 11, right? Because the 11 were not the only ones given to Jesus, as we've already read in John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 37 and verse 39, it says, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So keep in mind, he's with his disciples, and so he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, future so that means the 11, that well, at that time, the 12, were not the only ones who were with him. Right? There are more that are going to be his. So they will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Obviously, the disciples that were currently present with him, they are not the only people that are his. He's specifically praying for them. And he's specifically praying for his people. He's not praying for the whole world. As he said, I'm not praying for the world. Again, I think these words demonstrate the special kind of relationship we have with him. Right? A few weeks ago, we talked about this special kind of love that exists only between God and his people. We don't really like to acknowledge this, but there is a special kind of love that exists only between God and his people. Just as like I mentioned, the only, there's a special kind of love that exists between you and your spouse. There's a special kind of love that exists between Christ and his bride. And so here we see Jesus, he has this special relationship. He's, he's specifically praying for his people. He's intentional, and he's thinking about them, and I would even say he's thinking about us. He continues, verse 10. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. If this were more literally translated, it would say something like, all my things are yours, and all your things are mine, and I am glorified in them. Who's the them? Again, the most immediate context, the 11. Jesus is glorified in the 11, and hopefully, again, this hopefully is extended to us as well. Is Jesus glorified in us? This word for glorified can also be translated as magnified, meaning Jesus is given praise. Jesus is given honor. And so think about this with me. When Jesus says, all my things are yours, do we think those things extend to the glory that he receives from his disciples? Yes. So when he says, all my things are yours, and I am glorified in them, when Jesus is glorified by his disciples, who do his disciples glorify? By proxy, the Father. See, when Jesus is glorified, the Father is glorified. When we honor, when we praise Jesus, we honor, we praise the Father. Jesus says in verse 11, he continues, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This itself, this verse could be a whole sermon, that they may be one, even as we are one. Right, so Jesus acknowledges that his people, the 11 present, they've come to know and believe, but he wants more for them. He doesn't want them to just know and believe. He wants them to be one. And notice that qualification there. Just as we are one. Just as I and the Father are one. How are the Son and the Father 
one. I'm going to give you three things to consider, three observations from the Gospel of John. Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list, but they are one in message. One in message, as we've already read in John chapter 12, what Jesus says he's received from the Father. They are one in mission. John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I'm working. Essentially saying, hey, I'm picking up this work. I'm doing what my father has been doing. John 17, verse 4, he says, I've glorified you on earth. If you could go back one slide. One slide. One more. It's all right. I'll just read it from here. Uh, John 17, verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The Father gave Jesus a work, and Jesus is doing that work. They are one in mission. Jesus is doing what the Father has given him. Jesus is doing what the Father has been doing. And in John chapter 10, again, dealing with that passage where Jesus talks about him and his sheep. He is the shepherd. We are the sheep. That really details his mission. He is calling his sheep. He's calling his sheep that they they can have pasture, find pasture, and have abundant life. That's his mission. So one in message, one in mission. They are also one in love. John chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. As the Father has loved Jesus, Jesus so loved them with the same exact love that the Father has loved him. They are one in love, one in message, one in mission. So let me ask you this. Can this divine unity be achieved by our own power? Is this divine unity something that we work at and we establish? Do we organize ourselves in our church? Do we determine what theology that we have and that's how we achieve divine unity? Do we create some systematic theology and that's how we achieve divine unity? We say, you got to believe this, 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 and this, and then you're part of this body of Christ. Is that how we achieve divine unity? Is it by our own knowledge? Is it by our own willpower? No. Why else would Jesus be asking the Father? Second half of verse 11 again. Second half of verse 11 Jesus says, he asked the Father, Holy Father, keep them in your name or by your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Keep them in or by your name. Why? That they may be one even as we are one. So no. This divine unity is not achieved by our own effort. It's not achieved by our own willpower, evidently, because Jesus asked the Father for this. If, Jesus, if we could achieve it by ourselves, would Jesus have to ask the Father? No. It's by the Father's keeping. This word here translated as keep could also be translated as guard. It also could be translated as protect, sometimes used in the context of a guard keeping, watching a prisoner. And so you get the, the seriousness of what Jesus is asking here. Don't let them go. Father, keep them, guard them, protect them. Don't let them go. Because Lord knows, Lord knows if that we were, if we were not in the hand of the Father, we would go. 
This unity, this divine unity, is only possible because the Father has us in his hand. This unity comes from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And I'd love to take the time right now to explain how the Trinity is unifying us in the body of Christ, but I'm going to wait on that because that's going to be the next few weeks. But you can see here, Jesus, he's intentional. He's intentionally praying for unity among the leaven, and we'll see that he prays for unity among us. A unity that's not achieved by our own power. A unity that is only possible because God the Father has us in his hand. Let's pray. God, as we consider how you, the Father, and the Son are one, some, sometimes it seems like a, an impossible an impossible. Achievement. Sometimes to us it may seem like an impossible outcome. Because when, when we look around, we see division. We look around at all the churches, we see division, we see strife, we see, we see people fighting one another. As Paul describes it, don't, don't fight one another lest you devour yourselves. And so maybe, maybe part of it, maybe part of the reason we struggle with unity is because we so much rely on ourselves for this unity. We think if we just, if we just get the church together, if we organize it in the way that we think it should be, then, then we would achieve unity. If everybody would just look like us and act like us and talk like us, then we'd have unity. But according to your word, according to Jesus' request, your son's request, Father, this unity comes from you. So Lord, I ask that we would trust you. And that's easier said than done. We are so fickle. We so easily lean on ourselves or rely on our own wisdom, our own knowledge. But Lord, I ask that this radical unity would be made a reality with us by your will, your power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you are not already in the body of Christ, this unified body of Christ, why is it unified? Because of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If you're not already, you can be in this body of Christ as we stand and sing.